Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. So what we're going to do today is we're going to go to Acts chapter 8, and I am going to do basically a Bible study today. All right, so it's going to feel a little bit different, all right? Uh, But I'm basically going to do a Bible study on Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 25. But where I'm going to start is I'm going to start in um, verse 9. And I don't know what the heading of your Bible says, but mine says, Simon the Magician Believes. It's a very interesting, very interesting scripture. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to Acts chapter 8. And as you're doing that, I want to remind you of the 13 marks of a Book of Acts church that we've discovered so far together. Number one is absolute obedience to Jesus. Number two is Holy Spirit baptism. Number three, local unto global evangelism. Everybody say missions. Because you're going to see some missions today, some evangelism today. Number four is God-ordained leadership. Number five is corporate encounter. Number six is Jesus-centered preaching. Number seven is many salvations and baptisms. Number eight is devotion to church fellowship. Everybody say unity. Number nine is radical generosity. Number 10 is supernatural healing and miracles. And I'm going to add one to number 10 today. So instead of just supernatural healing and miracles, it's going to be supernatural healing, miracles, and deliverance. All right, because you're not going to be able to study the book of Acts without seeing deliverance take place. All right, Uh, 11 is persecution. You're going to see more of that today. 12 is persistent prevailing prayer. And 13 is the fear of the Lord. So in Acts chapter 8, verse 9, um, I won't have you stand today. It's a lot of scripture. You cool with it? We're just going to, it's a Bible study. Look at your neighbor say, it's a Bible study. Okay, verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. It's an interesting character we're getting the opportunity to meet. Saying himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest saying, this man is the power of God that is called, do do they capitalize that in y'all's Bible? Great, right? So they deify him. Uh, 11, and they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed, Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Notice verse 12 real quick, but when they believed, everybody say believed. So what we know is that Philip is preaching and you have a community of people who have now believed the message of Jesus. Verse 13, even Simon himself believed and after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So notice Philip, uh, excuse me, Simon watches Philip and, and the leadership Perform great miracles. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So it's very important that you recognize here is that the community at Samaria believed, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. Do you see the two distinct, two distinct experiences? All right? So I know a lot of times people are like, oh, well, I believe, so I got the Holy Spirit. I got everything God ever wants to do. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. All right? If you, if you believe this morning, I want you to know there's more for you. 
There's more. Believe is, it's, it's amazing you believe, but I want you to know God wants to do more for you. All right? And it says they sent Peter and John, and they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Get this. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Notice then there that there is a distinction between two separate baptisms, water and spirit. You with me? Somebody say there's more. Verse 17. Now, then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, get this, he offers them money. And he says, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither, and I don't know how indulgencies ended up happening, if you just read that one verse. But verse 21, you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. What does he tell him to do? Verse 22, repent therefore of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart, talking about his motivations, may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. And now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So the, the title of the message or the Bible study today is this, Miracles Not Magic. Miracles not magic, all right? So I want you to uh, just uh, buckle up a little bit. <laughs> just, you know, just a little bit. Because there could, could be a few moments in this message that gets a little spicy. But I just, I just, can I preach this the way the Holy Spirit gave it to me? Uh, all right, good. Because, um, or teach this. So remember, it's a Bible study. So Lord, help us. All right, anybody remember what last, me, last week's message was? Stand up straight, that's it. Stand up straight like Stephen. You heard of bend it like Beckham? It's stand up straight like Stephen. Uh, we talked about becoming like Stephen, uh, who was the church's first deacon and first martyr, who stood up straight and boldly preached Jesus in an anti-Christian culture that was fueled by two things, demonic deception and religious control. All right, that's what Stephen did. Stephen stood up and he boldly proclaimed the message of Jesus in an anti-Christian culture that was fueled by demonic deception and religious control. And if you look hard enough, I think you can notice a few attributes of those two things in operation in our culture today, religious control and demonic deception. Now, when we finished Acts chapter 7 last week, one of the things that we witnessed was an increase of persecution. Now, in Acts chapter 8, when you look at verse 1, remember, it's a Bible study. When you look at verse 1, what you're going to see is that the persecution does not let up, but the persecution continues to increase. In Acts uh, 8 verse 1, it says, And Saul approved of Stephen's execution, and there arose on that a great day, uh, that, that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, does anybody in here remember the Great Commission? Go from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. You remember that? All right, that's what Jesus tells them to do. So what we're watching here is we're actually watching the Great Commission unfold before our eyes, but it's not the result of passionate obedience initially, but it's the result of persecution. You see this? Sometimes God's working when you think he's absent. 
And, and they were all scattered throughout the regions, devout men. They buried Stephen, and they made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, the reason I bring this up is because I want you to meet Saul again. All right, I want you to meet Saul again because in the book of Acts, you, you really start with Peter, but you end up making your way to Paul. And even though the book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles, it's really the Acts of just two apostles, which is Peter and Paul. And so I'm reading verse 1 through 3. Remember, it's a Bible study. Because I, I want you to meet Paul again because I want you to see who Paul is as Saul. Obviously, he eventually becomes an apostle, or you might even call him Saint Paul if you want to. Uh, but look at where Saul starts. Uh, he approves of Stephen's execution, the first martyr, who is very possibly a childhood acquaintance. He ravages, that's what the Bible says, the church. And I looked that up in the Greek, and it means to injure severely or destroy. He goes house to house searching for Christians, and then the Bible says he drags them out. That's big uh, Gestapo energy. And then the last thing is he commits, uh, and the Greek word there is betrays, men and women, not just men, but and women to prison for their faith. And so you can actually look at these attributes of Saul, and you could label him as a terrorist. You could. You could call him a terrorist, right? Because he advocates and participates in the murder and the imprisonment of Christian, quote-unquote, infidels. Because that's what that word means. So if terrorist Saul can become the apostle Paul by the grace of God, then I think that we can proclaim that no one is too far gone for the grace of Jesus Christ to save them. This is something we need to remember. In the midst of our cancel culture... Oh, this person, they're too far gone. Let's write them off. Let's cancel them. Let's throw them in the garbage disposal and be rid of them. That's exactly what they wanted, that, what Christians would have wanted to do with Saul. But look what happened to Saul. Saul becomes the predominant writer of the New Testament and the greatest missionary that we've ever known for the last 2,000-something years. All right? Listen, nobody is too far gone for the grace of Jesus to save. Nobody. Now, so what you're seeing there, remember, we got to stand up straight like Stephen and preach Jesus in the midst of an anti-Christian culture that is fueled by demonic deception and religious control. What we just read is religious control. All right? That's, that's religious control. So now let's move on to verse 4. It says, Now those who were scattered, they went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did... For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so that there was much joy in that city. So one of the things I alluded to a moment earlier is that not every movement begins as good works gather more and more momentum. Some movements begin as a necessary response to bad works, such as violent persecution as we see here. Jewish leaders, they did not see Jesus' followers as simply holding fast to another worldview. They saw disciples of Christ as revolutionaries proclaiming a message that threatened to overthrow their religious order and their social structure, which is why there was so much persecution. Many of their leaders had observed the infancy of this new Jesus way as long as they felt that they could allow, and now they purposed within themselves to snuff it out by any means necessary. And this is what happens when you have have a real Jesus movement thriving we got to have to take these people out why because we can't control them anymore why because they're they're preaching a message that is setting people free of demonic deception 
We're going to have to take them out. We can't tolerate this. But what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28? Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's what Jesus told us. So one of the, our problems today, in my opinion, is that we just don't take Christianity that serious. We, 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 we read words like this from Jesus and we're like, oh yeah, that's, that's great. It's like we get nostalgic about it. Uh, getting nostalgic about the commands of Jesus is the religious way of ignoring Jesus. He didn't really mean that. It's just, it's just kind of like, it's wisdom. I think one of our problems today is we just don't take the words of Jesus that serious. We just don't take our faith that serious. The early church determined not to disobey Jesus despite any cost, even if that meant dying for their confession. I will not disobey Jesus. Uh, the modern American church may not experience persecution like the ancient Middle Eastern church, but why? Well, because everyone is a Christian. What happens if they're not one day? Because if you look at the statistics from Barna, it would suggest that our American culture is becoming less and less Christian. So what happens when not everybody is a, is a culturally accommodating Christian? What happens then? Because we've enjoyed it for our whole lives. What happens if that's not the case? Food for thought. Listen, I think I, I, as much as I don't want the message to be, I think it's prophetic. And, and I've determined in my heart, I'm going to prepare this church for the days ahead because there's going to come a time it's not going to be as easy as it's always been and listen I hope it's easier than it's always been I hope it is I hope we never experience persecution but if we do we're not going to stop preaching Jesus no matter what it costs us we're not going to disobey Jesus even even if that means people try to kill us they cancel us they change laws against it, it doesn't matter we're going to preach Jesus we're going to preach Jesus this is what we do we're holding fast to our confession. We're standing on the rock that is Christ Jesus. Come hell or high water, we will preach Jesus. And that's it. And that's it. Why else don't we experience persecution? Because we have religious freedoms here? What happens if we don't one day? What happens if we don't? Listen, I'm not trying to be political, but just review. 2020, all kinds of things changed. It only took a month. It only took a month. Can't do this, can't do that, can't do this, can't do that. I'm not trying to be political. I'm simply saying if we had that experience, we should remind ourselves of that and say, look, anything can change in a month. In a month. Okay, what if you don't have the religious freedoms anymore? What are you, you going to do? This is what the book of Acts helps us to prepare for. Is it because America is a place of tolerance and respect for everybody's beliefs? Do you believe that? That's not true. One of the reasons the modern American church does not experience the same persecution of the early church is because we do not preach the same message. We do TED Talks. We do Steps to Success. We do How to Get a Promotion on the Job. We spend 18 weeks on how to find the one. I mean, I don't even know how you get enough scripture for that sermon series. At some point, you're going to have to start preaching opinions. At some point, you're going to have to get a couch full of people and do an interview. At some point, you're just going to have, you're like, it's just not enough there. It's just not enough there because 
there's three things that we obsess over as modern American Christians. Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to live? And what is my job? Those are three things that ancient Christians never even talked about. Because all three of those things were decided on for them. You married who your parents picked. You did the job that your parents had. And you lived where you grew up. Unless God told you to go elsewhere. And we obsess over these things. I, I asked for permission. <laughs> hey, not only are we not preaching the same message, but I don't even know if our goals are the same. Is our goal to preach the, preach the gospel of Jesus and see souls come into the kingdom of heaven? Or is our, is our goals to get the biggest church and get the biggest Instagram following and get the biggest YouTube and look the best on stage and make sure that we're the most popular and try to be the fastest growing church in town and get the cover of Outreach Magazine? Like, what is our goals? Like, our goals they don't even resemble the goals of the early church. And I don't think that I'm... Um, I don't think I'm preaching a message advocating for some kind of violent revolution or non-cooperation. This is no, like, stick-it-to-the-man kind of message. Um, because when the church was physically persecuted, what did they do? They fled. I want you to notice that because that's what happened in the story, and the leadership went underground. So the most important response to persecution is prayer. Not fighting, not boycotting, and not poli- politics, but prayer first. And whatever instruction that God provides in prayer, then we do that. That may mean nonviolent, non-cooperation. That may mean preaching where you might get yourself killed. And that may mean politics as well. But it must be born of the Spirit, not of the flesh. What Acts 8 shows us is that sometimes walking in the purposes of God looks like running away. And that's not cowardice. It may be precisely what is wise. By them moving away from where persecution was happening, the most enabled them to go and do the Great Commission. You have to trust God. Like, when you're going through something hard, like, don't default to however you were raised. Default to the secret place and listen to the Holy Spirit. And whatever God tells you to do, just do that. Maybe it's move. Maybe it's stand up straight and say, we're going to have to tussle. I'm not going to stop preaching. Or maybe you go into the next city. I don't know. you got to listen to the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 10 said, And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Move on. We're going to... And move on. Um, Persecution pushed the church outward. So even though we hate persecution, God will move through anything. And it pushed us towards the Great Commission. And one of those Hellenist deacons that were ordained as deacons a little bit earlier, not even an apostle, his name was Philip. Well, he now takes center stage as the church's first evangelist. And here's what we see about Philip whenever he's preaching Jesus in Samaria. I have a list for you here. The crowds are in one accord. That's Mark number five. That's corporate encounter. They paid close attention to Philip's sermons. That's Mark number six, Jesus-centered preaching. They were taken by the signs that he performed. He cast out demons and he healed the paralyzed and the lame. That's Mark number 10, supernatural healing, miracles, and deliverance. So there was much joy in that city, which is what, hap- which is what, ha- what happens. Now, one of, one of the things I want to say is that, is that Philip is the church's first evangelist and Simon the sorcerer is the church's first counterfeit evangelist. Uh, that, so, so I want you to notice something. And, and Luke, remember Luke is a physician. He's a genius teacher. He's a genius teacher. One of the literary devices that Luke uses often is he gives us an opportunity to compare. 
all right? So you, you don't notice it if you just look at the sections. But what he does is he presents these truths about Philip, and then he presents these truths about Simon, and the two are very uh, similar. In fact, I have a chart, and I don't know if it's actually made its way into the notes. I don't know if a chart made its way into the notes. Maybe it didn't, but I'll get it for the next service. See, it's got to come back. Um, so as Philip works miracles and casts out demons and heals paralytics, his ministry grabs the attention of a, lo- a notable local magician named Simon. So I want you to notice here, like this side is Philip, this side is Simon. Since I don't have a slide, I'm going to just... Praise God, look at that. Okay, so you see, Philip the evangelist works wonders. Simon the sorcerer works wonders. It's all in the Bible. Philip the evangelist draws crowds. Simon the sorcerer draws crowds. Philip the evangelist, people paid attention to him. Simon, they paid attention to him. Philip, he performs great powers. Simon claims to be great power. All right, so you see the difference here. Philip the evangelist, his miracles amaze people. Simon, his claims or his wisdom and magic amaze people. Oh, so, so you have to understand is that there is this, there's this uh, contrast here. And while Simon uh, claims to be somebody great and seeks status, Philip acts only in the name of Jesus. And that's, that's one of the attributes of an authentic Uh, an authentic evangelist. Now, the reason why I did this is because I want you to see uh, that without discernment and wisdom from the Holy Spirit, we don't know the difference. Here's, here's, here's my, another, um, another concern that I have for the modern American church is that because we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, then our discernment has grown dull. And we actually don't know the difference between miracles and magic. We actually don't know the difference between an authentic biblical evangelist and a counterfeit evangelist. You with me? So you see the difference here. And as spirit-filled people, if you grew up charismatic Pentecostal, we often use the supernatural as a key indicator to determine who's real and who's fake. We know that just because a leader speaks well doesn't necessarily mean that they are anointed. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. I think we're letting people off the hook a little bit too easy. It's like, dude, I see your keynote presentation. That's amazing, and I love it, and I'm grateful for it. But where's the power of the Holy Ghost? This is what the book of Acts reminds us. It's like preachers are supposed to be more than articulate. I was talking to uh, this guy who was hosting me and Spence yesterday. I was like, I feel like today preachers are more interested in being on Super Soul Sunday, Oprah, than they are like saving souls on Sunday. And <laughs> don't worry, we don't podcast this, this one. It's, it's the 1030. I'll chill out in the 1030. Get out of my system. Um, now, as charismatics, we rightly expect our ministers to operate in supernatural power, but signs and wonders alone are not what make us holy priest. If someone operates in supernatural power, good or bad, they're anointed. If someone operates in supernatural power, be it good power or bad power, they're anointed. The question is not whether or not they are anointed, but by what spirit are they anointed with? And for what purpose have they been anointed for? So one thing you got to know about the anointing. It always comes for a reason and a season. There's always a purpose behind the anointing, right? And so people who operate by the power of demonic spirits, they're anointed. They're just not anointed by the right spirit. 
But see, we don't even, we don't think like this, and this is what, the reason for this message. This is going to be like a, perhaps a paradigm-shifting moment for some of us. Hey, remember in the Old Testament that there was magicians of Pharaoh? They were pagan sorcerers, and they were always able to duplicate some of the signs that the priests could do, but they could not go beyond a certain limit, and it's the same today. Most forms of occult worship have some supernatural spiritual power, but they do not have the same purpose, and that's how you spot the difference. Most forms of occult worship have some supernatural spiritual power. So when when someone says that they're not religious, they're just spiritual, believe them. A lot of times as Christians, we just like, ah, They're not. Spiritual people are not lying to you. The question is, what spirit are they in relationship with? Some spirits have more power than others, but none more than Yahweh. None more than Yahweh. And that's why, you know, Jesus said, I'm the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You can also say the God of gods. Did you know that in the Bible... The Bible actually talks about more gods than one. Did you know that? So when I was a little kid, one of the very first things that I was taught is people would ask me, how many gods is there? And I would go. For one, right? Because that's what I was taught. They were giving me Sunday school. Like, there's one. There's one. That's actually not true. There's actually more gods than one. There's just one God that's more powerful than all the other gods. All right, so in the Old Testament, we have a word for God. Genesis 1 and 1, it's called, in the beginning, God. All right, that word is the Hebrew word Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim, which is actually a plural word, word, which I don't have time to get into, but it's nonetheless interesting. Uh, But not every time that the Old Testament uses the word Elohim does the Bible mean Yahweh, who is the God of all gods. Believe it or not, many gods are mentioned in the Bible, but only one God is Yahweh. But only one God is Yahweh. Therefore, Christians are polytheistic in our belief, but we're monotheistic in our worship. All right, there's more spirits than the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? Like, there's more spirits. I know that like uh, current modern American church is like, we become so pragmatic despite Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Like we're actually like not very spiritual. We've, We've just labeled everything spiritual demonic. So here's another difference in the early church and the modern American church. Today, we have an extremely truncated understanding of the reality of the spiritual realm, which is why there are very very few magicians like Simon and sorcerers that are impressed by our powerless preaching and our not-so-supernatural ability to work signs and wonders. The most spiritual place in town should not be the psychic's office where tarot cards are read, but the church where paralyzed lame bodies are completely restored. Listen, I want to prophesy to you, church, more power is on its way. More power is on its way. There's coming a day when tarot cards and Ouija boards and wands and chalices will be burned again as modern-day witches and warlocks are delivered of demons, and they believe as Simon believed. Listen, this is going to happen. 
We're already seeing it become mainstream. If you don't believe it, just turn on the news. It's there. In Brazil, just recently, there was a classroom that was playing with Ouija boards. And like 27 kids had to be transported to the hospital because they did not know how to deal with the demons. There is a medical issue. Call the ambulance. I'm telling you, you're going to see more of this. More power is on the way. Our world has not seen enough miracles, which is why they're settling for magic. And if you do not believe that this is on the rise, just wait and watch. Witchcraft is becoming more and more popular and more and more mainstream. I can't hardly watch a basketball game on the playoffs without getting some kind of demonic preview of a movie. You know, you see it? It's all there. Mommy's possessed, killing the kids. It's like, I was, yesterday I was on the plane, I was like, oh, what's the most popular show right now? It's people becoming zombies and eating people. Like, it's like, that's the, that's the thing right now. And because we all watch it, we're desensitized to it. <laughs> people are like, you coming for my zombie movies? Don't you dare do that. <laughs> hey. A few of the reasons why we don't recognize demonic, occultic, witchcraft activity is because we're not full of the Spirit, therefore our discernment has become dull, and we're passive about it, and we tolerate it knowingly, because if you look at magicians of old, here's how they did their thing, through potions, poisons, and drugs, and we're filled with them, and the other thing is they do astrology and horoscopes, and we got Christians doing that garbage, and posting it on their Instagram like, prophetic word for the day, you didn't give me no scripture, you didn't say nothing about God. I didn't get nothing from the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, we don't know the difference between miracles and magic. They look the same on the outside, but we need Holy Ghost discernment to be able to understand. That's magic. It's not miracles. I have no interest in that garbage. All right, here's where it's going to get worse. In the last two minutes. One of the reasons why we tolerate this is because it operates in our pulpits. Some of our preachers claim to operate in supernatural miracles when in reality they are manipulating saints by magic. Just like Simon, they're counterfeit evangelists. And, I'm not, uh, and it may not be on purpose, but let me give you the difference between miracles and magic. Look at this. And this is all from right here, Simon and Philip. It's all from right here. What's the difference between miracles and magic? You got a list of them? You don't have a list of them? Okay. I'll read you the list of them. What's the difference between miracles and magic? Miracles are manifestations of the will of God. Magic manipulates spirits, demonic and human, for the will of men. Miracles are God's generosity. Magic is for man's selfish greed. Miracles edify everybody. Magic builds up the magician. Miracles glorify God. Magic attempts to manipulate gods. Miracles advance God's kingdom. Magic is done for personal gain. So some of our preachers do magic, not miracles. They're in ministry for themselves and not the saints. They operate in the supernatural, but not for the glory of God. Selfishly, greedily, they manipulate human spirits to build their own platforms, not to advance the kingdom of God and bring glory to Jesus. That's magic, not miracles. When someone's ministry is more about them than it is Jesus, it may be supernatural, but it's magic. 
and it's not miracles. The magis of old, you know what they did? They were itinerants. They traveled around doing supernatural feats, impressing crowds with lofty wisdom and extorting the working class communities that they went to for money. Ministry done solely for money is called magic. So here's what we need to do. I'm out of time. We need to repent and receive the Holy Spirit. At the end of the day, that's what we need. I talked a little bit about that in, you know, verse 14 through 17. When the apostles, and, and that in itself is supernatural because the apostles said, i got to get to Samaria. I've heard that there's an outbreak taking place there through Philip. Do you know that Jews and, and, and Samaritans, they hated each other? Which is why Jesus actually brought up the good Samaritan as a parable. It's like, not you, not you. It was the Samaritan, right? So Samaritans were half Jews. And one of the reasons why Jewish people hated Samaritans is because Samaritans only claimed to be Jewish when it was convenient. When there was benefits attached, hey, I'm Jewish. When there was persecution, I'm not Jewish. Right? So Jews despised them. They didn't want intermarrying. They didn't want nothing. But you see, this is how the Spirit begins to move the church outwardly where it's no longer only Jewish. It's actually reaching the Gentiles, Judea. It's Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. You see, it's all a work of the Holy Spirit. So the first miracle you're seeing is like Peter and John are like, something's happening in Samaria. Philip's down there preaching the deacon we just laid hands on. So let's actually get down there and see what God is doing. What happens? The Samaritans, they believe. They are baptized, but they are yet to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? So what do they do? They lay hands on them. They receive the Holy Spirit. And then Simon says, I want to buy that power. Did it? So... The reason why I personally do not teach that you are not baptized with the Holy Spirit unless you speak with other tongues is because we don't have a direct reference in this instance of people receiving the Holy Spirit and speaking with other tongues. But if Simon the sorcerer had already seen paralyzed people get healed, demons cast out of people, all kinds of supernatural acts, and it was not until... They laid hands and people received the Holy Spirit that he offered money. Something visible had to have taken place. It wasn't just like, I received the Holy Spirit by faith. Something took place. Simon was like, whoa, what is that? I think they spoke in tongues. That's my personal opinion. But the reason I don't teach it because it doesn't say it explicitly. So they came in, they laid hands, they received the Holy Spirit. And, and, and that's what we need. We need to stay full of the Holy Spirit so that we can have our discernment sharp to understand the difference in miracles and magic so that we know what to do whenever we're persecuted. And all of this starts with repentance. So because i got to close, let's stand, and we're just going to repent. Um, that's how we're going to finish is just a prayer repentance. Right, look at your neighbor and say it's a Bible study. So right now in Jesus' name, uh, Lord, we repent uh, for embracing Things that are not of you, I, you know, magic, not miracles. Things that are selfish, greed, they advance man's agenda versus God's kingdom. We repent of all that. And um, can I, you know, the, the prayer team, we will have a prayer team up here. Uh, if, if you need to receive prayer today, you can come up. If there's anybody in the room and you have just been, you, you've just been dabbling in like occultic garbage, come repent today. Come receive uh, prayer. Like if you're going to see psychics and mediums and you're, um, you're fascinated by that stuff, just come receive prayer because you need to get free of that garbage. It's not going to help you. I promise you, it's nothing but deception. It's just deceiving. And if you grew up around that and you just want somebody to pray because you feel like that's been attacking you for a number of years, you come receive prayer. You got to get free of that mess. It's, it's not from God and it's not for you. It's confusing you and it's holding you back. It's holding you down.
And, and we're, we're coming for all of that stuff today. All right? So if you need to get free of that, get free of that today. In Jesus' name, I pray over every single one of our souls, our hearts, our minds, our spirits. In Jesus' name, in any way that the enemy has been coming at us in such a way that we don't understand and we don't have the discernment to understand how to dismantle it. God, today I pray for just an impartation of discernment. I pray for fullness of the Holy Ghost for every single person in this room today. And that as we go forward, that we would call the enemy out. We will not be ignorant of his schemes and devices, as the Apostle Paul said, but we would call it out. And we would resist it and he would be made to flee from us because we are filled with the Spirit and we pledge allegiance to the God of gods, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, Jesus and only Jesus. We belong to Jesus and only Jesus. And we thank you, God, for what you've done today in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen and amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.